Hello, hello. Welcome to Hometown Daily, the news show powered by hometown.com. Go over, become a citizen. But today we talk about 10 articles. Let's start with FEMA expands aid. Pal World accused of being Pokemon endlessly. USPS charging all about the ISS. Sim swapping SEC. Lab grown eel. One last hurrah. Closed by Apple. <laughs> Robot thinks my tractor sexy. And an internet conspiracy, you say. That and a bunch of snarky little comments. Maybe a little soapboxing. Next. Hello, everybody. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the one, the only, from on high, the AI. Want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. It's a thing. So, yeah. Got 10 articles. I had one, and then when I opened it up, I'm like, hard paywall. Oh, that's too bad. It, which meant that even citizens of hometown, when they follow the link... They too will have the hard paywall, and I just couldn't stand for it. So I nixed it. That's okay. Uh, the next, or uh, the first article though that we're going to talk about is FEMA expands AI aid. Sorry, aid. I guess I have a typo in my description. That's okay. First article is over on the Mobile Channel. FEMA expands weather disaster aid, citing climate change, which is a good thing, folks. We are a, a plurality of people, humans, that sometimes run afoul of nature. And FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, well, that it has stages all over the place in the United States. So that should something happen, they activate. And in coordination with the state, whatever emergency management association or agency, um, they they coordinate and they have a very um, kind of a regimented policy and procedure software that works with where things are, are happening so that they can move things here and move things there and be ready. Um, it's pretty neat. You could probably go to your local community college or university and um, actually train to become a... Um, I, what do you call like it? Emergency um, management personnel. Yeah. Yeah. Or an, you, um, an emergency administrator or something along those lines. Yeah. You can, and depending on how the program is all put together, it's, you know, more or less straightforward, but it's pretty cool. You can facilitate uh, emergency management at the state level, or you can interact from the state to the federal, or you can become a federal um, civil servant. You basically work for FEMA and um, help support the cause of returning to normal after a major event happens. It's kind of, you know, it's personally enriching. Um, and depending on if you're a contractor or not, it could be actually financially lucrative. So over at the Hill, Zach Budrick and Rachel Friesen put this article together. And... Um, this is kind of what it looks like. San Diego right now is basically 
uh, getting hammered kind of like this. Probably not as bad as this, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, uh, California's Emergency Management Association or Agency, um, it, some people just swap that around, but it is an agency, um, would get activated and then FEMA interacts with that agency to support whatever need they have, but it's expensive, very, very expensive. Uh, on Monday, the Federal Emergency Management Agency published its interim federal rule in the Federal Register and included climate change as a reason for the aid expansion. Climate change has elevated the need for the delivery of efficient disaster services and increased the need for dot, 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 I don't know why there's a dot. There must be stuff there's inside There's probably some it. detail there that they didn't yeah. want to include in the article. Just like federal aid assistance, more than likely. Um, pardon me. I have to throw something on the floor. Um, so in response and in a step toward equity, the regulatory changes in this rule seek to add efficiency in the delivery of assistance to survivors by simply processes, simplifying processes, removing barriers to entry and increasing eligibility for certain types of assistance under the program. Uh, there My was... guess is they've had major disasters that they can't actually qualify for aid without this. So they're probably trying to remedy that. And I can tell you one uh, that happened fairly recently in Hawaii where the aid amounted to, here's $510 or something like that for your entire burnt out husk of a house. And uh, good luck. Go finding something in Maui of all in places. Maui. <laughs> yeah, it was like a pittance, you know. Um, but for some reason, some people like cheer the limitation of this aid to people. And it's I'm just going to call it out. It's because they're sociopathic. You know, they have no compassion. They have no understanding of the human condition. Um, they're uh, greedy, narrow minded blinder driven sociopaths but i can guarantee you should fit hit the shan in their world they will be the first to be chomping at the bit for aid right and complaining if it doesn't come fast right. enough etc right. or the amount isn't high enough and i've paid my taxes yeah shut up become a part of the entire social contract and then, well, you can bitch and moan just like the rest of us do. Anyway, the uh, URL is in the, the link is in the chat. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, everything is updated as of today. The YouTube channel has every episode of uh, Omtown Daily News Show and of uh, the Reality Hacker Show and the Continuity Report. Um, and Reality Hacker is actually just called Reality Hacker, not The Reality Hacker Show. I don't know why. The Ohio State. Yeah, The Reality Hacker. Anyway, um, the article again is over at the Hill, so follow that link through Omtown because all news roads lead through Omtown. Let's keep going, though. This next one is kind of interesting. So a lot of people are, uh, like I uh, said in a chat recently, that... I think that they're going to be coming for Pal World. And they're like, no, I've heard this everywhere. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay, it's called speculation. And uh, 
Pal World is definitely showing up on the radar of Nintendo. They've already issued a takedown of a video because the a modder um, changed the models from uh, Pal World so that it was actually Pokemon. Pal World oh, is. Oh, I see. Okay. Pal World. Pal World is basically uh, Pokemon with guns and uh, and other mechanics. They don't say Sounds Pokemon. Sounds like an adult Pokemon. Yeah, it's a little bit more. Um, but like um, Ms. 5000 Watts over on Twitch was talking about today, uh, a reviewer said that it's derivative and all of this other negative stuff, and it was basically trash. And um, I thought it was really kind of shocking because I actually like the game. It's in early access. Already sold over 6 million copies in four days. Yeah. I mean, that's really incredible. And hasn't it beaten out pretty well-known yeah, hits Call like Duty Baldur's and... Gate 3? And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How that's possible, I don't know. Yeah, people are rave reviews of other games, and they're still like number five and six in the top ten. And this is now like number two or three. Um, and I'd say I'm guessing that by next week, by the like Saturday this coming weekend, it's going to be somewhere around 10 million. I think it's I think it's heading that way. Um, it's just tapering off the next three thousand, close to three and a half thousand or three three million three and a half million. Um, it's going to be the tapering off kind of a thing. But ludicrously successful Pokemon parody survival game Pal World, which I think should not be compared anymore because that's kind of fueling the fire. If everybody starts talking about the comparison, then it can become quote unquote confusingly similar. And that's how you end up in litigation. They say in this article, 4 million copies <laughs> in just days has come under the microscopes of internet detectives who think it's 100 Pokemon like monsters go beyond parody into straight up ripoff territory. Again, the article uh, titled is Pal World Accused of Poke uh, Copying Pokemon Models, Developer Pushes Back, Says Artists Are Being Slandered. And just because you make something that looks like a Pokemon doesn't mean that it is copying Pokemon. There's only so many ways that you can create something and still have it like comical. Um, the head of Pal World developer Pocket Pair, uh, Takuro Mizobe, um, said on the website formerly known as Twitter today that slanderous comments are being made about Pal World's artists, Mizobe, also. Uh, recently told uh, Automaton that Pocket Pair has no intention of infringing upon the intellectual property of other companies. The unproven allegation going around is that some number of Pal World's creature uh, models are copies of Pokemon. So let's go over to PC World. Sorry, PC Gamer. I derped that. PCGamer.com. Tyler Wilde is the uh, author of this article. The deck statement says people are directly comparing pal world's creature models with pokemon's are they too similar to call a parody or homage um and so the uh, people are comparing the two right so uh one is a pokemon and the other one is um pal world so pal world pokemon and um yeah i don't know 
Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't know. Every every cartoon is a right. three-toed whatever or uh, whatever. I mean, it's just... It just I mean, is it what just it looks is. like a character. I mean, sure, it's similar, but it seems like it's more a similar art style. Yeah. Yeah. And my understanding is that the artist just wants to make, uh, not the artist, but the developer just wants to make a fun game. And if it's close, then it's close, but they didn't intend to copy and they just wanted to make something that would come across as popular and fun. And they didn't overthink it. They just did it. Uh, by biofrog says that they have very little experience with 3d modeling and others aren't so convinced that any pokemon meshes were directly copied quote it is my opinion as someone with a background in 3d modeling that not only is the pal world topography different it is superior said a twitter user hexadimensional in response to one comparison maybe they're brothers <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Biofrog's most shared comparison embedded above overlays Pokemon's uh, Lycanroc model on Palworld's parody version, showing how the two creatures share almost identical proportions. Quote, to accidentally create a complex model mesh with so near exact proportions is practically impossible, wrote former Blizzard designer Eric Covington, who is not a 3D artist on the website <laughs> formerly known as Twitter. I like that. Is that the author adding that or do you think the designer noted that? I'm not sure, but it I think it's it's a quote. Uh, so there's a quote and then I think it's the author's writing and then in parents is the author's observation. I mean, isn't that kind of downgrading the validity of that comment? Yeah, and then you know, they say to repeat that improbability throughout your roster doesn't pass the sniff test. But then again, yeah, I, I don't know. Is this really the direct connection, though? I'm, is there a differential model that shows how it's the percentage of exact mesh? Right, um, and alignment? also, does the program have things like default uh, dimensions or default, um, I don't know, configurations, etc.? Like, how much is that of that as the actual artist? Yeah, really. Maybe they just grab something that was a standard kind of uh, open access or, or uh, default model and they left it and there's no licensing terms because some of the stuff just doesn't have a, a license. It just says, um, go ahead and use it. Um, hold on one second. I need to take care of something. Do, 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 do. Yeah, we're doing it live folks. That's how we work here. Okay, so Pal's similarities to uh, Pokemon may turn out to be more controversial among gamers than lawyers in the end. The notoriously litigious Nintendo hasn't made a move against Pal World at this time. And attorney Brandon Huffman, a video game-focused firm Odin Law, told... Uh, oh, and media. Um, Law and, Odin Law and Media told uh, Bloomberg today that he doubts Pocket Pair needs to worry about it. Last week, uh, PCGamer.com described the pals as a Frankenstein stitching together of Pokemon pieces, which creates a look particular to Palworld, quote, a surreal gallery 
of familiar eyes, limbs, and silhouettes. Uh, had it achieved a regular level of success, the provenance of Palworld's 3D models might never have come under so much scrutiny, but Palworld has been an absolute phenomenon. Climbing over Counter-Strike 2 to become Steam's most played game by concurrent uh, by concurrence right now, the peak that I've seen is 1.5 million concurrent and over 800 sustained. Um, I think only dipping down below 800,000 um, just recently. It might be back up because uh, during the day it actually spikes. Um, and oh, right. Late yes. at night it dips down again. Um, as basically the dial turns and, you know, one time zone comes online and, and people wake up and start doing stuff. It has little waves. Anyway, I think that is just. Oh, what? So the author actually says further proof of. Uh, further proof that PC gamers have zero defense against the allure of any early access survival game. Um, the author says personally, they think it's something more mundane. Just further proof that the PC gamers have zero defense against the allure of any new early access survival game. And I agree. Um, but this one is so... It, ha it fails from time to time. It crashes and does buggy stuff, and there's some glitches in the Matrix, but overall, I think Do you think it's, it's not prepped for the amount of traffic that it got? Well, they've already acknowledged that and brought more servers online. They had a discussion, and they brought more servers online. Um, but that doesn't stop anybody from spinning up their own server, both locally, and I've actually got one hosting um, right now so that I can play it without having to worry about it where the wear and tear on my systems um although i could probably throw it on a server somewhere um i'd rather just pay a host and um, connect from anywhere with a laptop that's running Palworld, and then anybody else can actually access that server as well yeah anyway it, i i actually love this game and i've actually been considering maybe it being my forever game when it launches although and Shrouded is launching in 12 hours, and I uh, beta tested that, and it was a blast. Is as that well. you're gonna be? Is that going to be your forever game? I don't know. The summer of streaming is a bit away, um, and I've got some pretty big projects coming, so I don't know if I'll be able to stream one particular game um, in bulk. Plus, my attention—I have a, an attention disorder. I, and but it isn't like diagnosed ADHD or anything. I just I for some reason I don't want to keep doing the same thing. And Dust. <laughs> yeah, like I'm. Uh, oh hey, hi. Oh okay. Oh sorry, I'm streaming. Um, so it's kind of like that, you know. I really like new things, new and interesting things, and um, Ohm Town pretty much satiates that desire for. Uh, a dynamic environment. So I really love talking about the news and uh, hanging out with the AI uh, talking about the news. So let's keep going before I soapbox for too long on one article and everybody falls asleep, including the AI. So the next article snoring <laughs> is huh? What? Oh, sorry. Uh, so the next article is over in hometown daily, the U S postal services, new ED chargers are here. So let's just go and look at them. Uh, it's over at the verge. Justine Calma is the 
author. There's an E in there, so don't make that mistake again, Marowat. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, the U.S. Postal Service showed off its first batch of new chargers and electric vehicles at an event in Atlanta. And there you go. Wow. So stylish. So so wild and fun. So freaky and free. I know. <laughs> it looks like every other charger out there. But... Yeah. But these vehicles probably put a lot of miles on. So I think it's good that they're going electric. Hey, and as long as the temperature. Electric. Oh, sorry about that. Go ahead. Or as long as they're staying electric, if they were already electric. Well, they're not doing it in uh, Wyoming. They're not doing it in extremely cold climbs because it would take forever to charge. Hmm. Not sure how this is going to play out well in the whole uh, climate change world that we live in, if you know what I mean. So somebody is sitting there waiting for their mail for a week or whatever. That's right. <laughs> and they're like, sorry, I'm still charging my post office vehicle. The USPS. Our motto is we'll get it to you eventually. <laughs> Dead letter office is nothing but a charging station at this point. So it's a key step in the Postal Service's plan to put together one of the nation's biggest EV fleets made up of more than 66,000 delivery vehicles. Each of those probably going to suffer from a simultaneous failure of the battery in five to ten years. It is interesting after the Hertz uh, maneuver. Bow out, right? Yeah, they got rid of or are in the process of getting rid of their EVs uh, because of the extraordinary cost. But it might be because of those types of vehicles costing a lot. This, not so much. This looks like a bulk, you know, product that can be replaced or repaired um, relatively inexpensively or if it gets you know, banged or dinged up or whatever they can just leave it dented um, whereas a lot of people with a 60 to 75 thousand dollar EV and a, a personal attachment to their uh, their vehicle you know it's a status symbol but a, a postal carrier probably doesn't give a crap about the car they're driving because it's nothing more than a means to an end. Get that mail out to the client as soon as possible. So USPS uh, is working on converting around 400 sites into sorting and delivery centers that will become hubs to deploy EVs along local carrier routes because the range isn't extraordinary. So they have to keep on charging and cycling them out, right? Three different companies, uh, Siemens, Rexel ChargePoint and Blink will manufacture the Postal Service's first 14,000 EV chargers. Yeah. USPS agreed to purchase 9,250 of the vehicles from Ford. It also plans to buy another 11,750 commercial off-the-shelf vehicles, or COTS. That's a big government word. Uh, from other manufacturers. And by 2028, USPS says it'll deploy another 45,000 battery electric next generation delivery vehicles or NGDVs made by the company Oshkosh, which happens to buy, uh, be the maker of my pull-ups. Just kidding. Yeah, I was going to say, don't they make like uh, kids Oshkosh overalls and things? Yeah. Yeah. Probably not the same company. Uh, you know what? <laughs> you should look it up. 
Ah, uh, that might be funny if it is the exact same thing. Oh, look, it has suspenders. <laughs> and little stubby legs. You know, these are like eight inch wheels. So I bet you it is an Oshkosh, the company that makes kids clothes. That's okay. Here, let me throw this into the chat while the AI is actually looking for some information. But I'm Okay, gonna... so I think there's a Noshkosh group and it has all kinds of Oh, it's a conglomerate. Um, industries, so I'm kind of thinking that's what it is, but wow. I bet it had I bet this has really great interior and it's fun and quirky. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel 13 things you didn't know about the international space station i've got one that most people don't know there's mold and they lost oh, a tomato yes. and they, they also lost a, a tool bag well maybe that was a stuff from the iss too was it iss it was a spacewalk went i know but so international space space station i'll be okay the International Space Station is so hot right now with no less than two movies out featuring the Orbital Lab, namely the ISS and Constellation. Instead, the ISS is an absolute icon and a fixture of popular culture that's actually being decommissioned. But anyway, um, but beyond its well-known status as a pioneering space laboratory, it harbors a wealth of lesser known facts. So. George Dvorsky over at Gizmodo put the article together. Think you know everything there is to know about the ISS? Guess again. So it actually is a slideshow. Um, I think uh, that's about it, but that's interesting. The ISS spins around the earth every 90 minutes. I think it's going like something like 35,000 miles an hour. Wow. That's a little speedy. So we're just going to list the slides. You can get espressos easily. Apparently you can't hack it. Microbes are everywhere. This is what we were talking about. Um, mold is in the ISS. We actually talked about that in a previous article. It stinks. Yeah. Um, like burnt meat or something like that. And, oh, and, that's uh, awful. And carbon. Um, maybe that's space. We could lick, uh, we could lick that. <laughs> we could link that. I don't think we right want there, to. But, um, you can go over. Uh, the link is in chat right now you can follow it on your own the iconic cupola um not the director but um that's a different cupola um was an afterthought iss can withstand impacts but only to a point at what time is it 8 30 then no shit news <laughs> no shit news um fight fire with mist so it has little sprayers um but they can't have too much uh water in there because it can cause shorts just one sanctioned external boot booster uh keeping it warm inside is no easy feat that's right because it needs installation and to be heated because the uh, vacuum of space it there's two things that actually happen radiation superheats anything that um there's no atmosphere to leak heat to so when heat hits it or I should say when radiation hits it, like the sun, um, you actually heat up. And so spacesuits are typically liquid cooled. Historically, they've been liquid cooled. 
Um, I don't know about the new designs. I haven't looked into how they're made. Um, but apparently if you're inside, it leaks heat out and becomes cold. Um, if I recall correctly. And again, you can follow the little link right there. Um, it's bigger than you think. It costs $1 billion to safely destroy the ISS. And I'm actually going to follow this link right there. That reminds me of the Sierra space uh, explosion, planned explosion. Uh, which one? That was the bubble that they built. Oh, um, right. And then intentionally exploded to see how it did. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yesterday, I think it was, or maybe the day before, Sierra Space blew up their inflatable habitat. It looks pretty cool. It's over on YouTube, and there's a link to it in our show notes. It did look cooler before they blew it up, though. Oh, really? I haven't actually seen it before it blew up. It I did, just did... meant it was probably more intact than... <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was just thinking I thought you show. were being authentic about the design. <laughs> to me, it looked like a lawn chair. You know those ones that have the nylon webbing? Yes. It, that's what it looks like. It reminds me of that. So the station uh, exterior endures rapid temperature shifts as it orbits Earth, moving from sunlight to darkness every 45 minutes. Yeah. Inside, the heat does not rise or circulate as it does under Earth's gravity. Therefore, the ISS relies on sophisticated thermal control uh, systems that manage these temperature variations and ensure a stable environment because when it's in the cold and it doesn't have any sun hitting it it radiates heat it loses heat um, but when the sun is hitting it it'll heat up uh, it's the same thing with people so there's environmental controls on the spacesuits pretty wild anyway let's keep on going the next article is over in hometown daily a SIM swapping attack was behind the SEC's fake Bitcoin post. The Security and Exchange Commission has linked a SIM swapping attack to its account breach on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter. And so let me. Um, so and we featured something about the fake Bitcoin post, but I guess this is new. Right. So let me see. Um, yeah, it's, you have to be pretty sophisticated though. I'm trying to see if they, cause I haven't read anything about the actual forensic analysis of how it might've been done. Um, but they say that, um, the breach on the website formerly known as Twitter earlier this month led to the creation of a fake post announcing approval of Bitcoin ETFs that caused the cryptocurrency's price to spike in a month or on Monday, the sec said an unauthorized party obtained control of the sec cell phone number associated with the account in an apparent SIM swap attack. Um, the, the thing I don't understand is you have to have some type of knowledge about this. So who was it that facilitated this swap? A sw SIM swapping attack occurs when a bad actor obtains a, uh, a victim's phone number through techniques like social engineering. So remember, if you think back to what we were talking about, I said a human had to have compromised this. Yes, Not it, it wasn't just the attacker, but some dipshit had to reveal personally identifiable and target based information. Like somebody called up 
the um, the phone company for that phone number and said, hey, you know, I'm the director of the SEC and I need this information. And then they cloned the SIM, which allowed them to get two-factor authentication sent to them directly. They just confirm it on their phone, allows them access to the Twitter account. Then they make their post, burn the phone. Nobody's the wiser, except that if you commit a crime like this in the United States, at this level, you're going to get caught eventually. So let me, um, let me get back to, I think they were like using the cell phone to order pizza or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so Emma Roth over at the verge, uh, put the article together. The sec says a bad actor gained control of the phone number associated with its X account. Um, oh, okay, I mean the website formerly known as mobile number for the X account. I'm sorry. Why would there be a mobile phone number associated with a government agency's X account? Because everybody is mobile. I mean, there isn't a single person in a government agency. Uh, you know, I don't even know if contractors, like contract officers, are specialists. Do they have a cell phone? Not necessarily. Yeah. I don't know if they get issued a cell phone. Um, if you work outside of an agency, you're a contractor. It's typically your phone. You don't even get issued one. So if you're even doing government work, you don't get issued one. Maybe if they're, they really love you, they might give you one, but so, yeah, I mean, basically what, what happens is somebody did a SIM swap. And so they were able to um, intercept calls and texts intended for the victim, including two facts. See, they even say it here in the article. Um, but I, I just don't see they, you know, they don't say, I can tell you right now that there's somebody at the company, the phone company that's wetting themselves because they know that they revealed this information. Right. Like they're like, Hmm, I had a weird call from the SEC director or whatever. Um, it says while the SEC says multi-factor authentication was previously enabled on the agency's Twitter account, it was disabled by Twitter support at the staff's request in July, 2023 due to issues accessing the account. That right there was one of the biggest mistakes. So it didn't have two factor or multi-factor authentication. Um, yeah, but couldn't that have been like a long con? I mean, if somebody sophisticated was in there, maybe not, maybe it was just complete error and then they didn't re-enable it. They says it was re-enabled after the account was re uh, was compromised on January 9th and says it's MFA uh, multi-factor authentication active on all of its other social media accounts that have the option. So even with multi-factor authentication, the notice would have gone out, but all you had to do was be ready to hit. Okay. Right. Wouldn't it have gone to the bad actor if they had access to the correct. device or. Yeah. And if you do it fast enough, it won't even stay on the, on your screen, even the cloned, like the original person, it would just go away. Um, yeah. Like if you are on an Apple device and well, it really depends on how you have everything configured on, um, Apple and Android, but anyway, 
yeah, it, it would basically be easy to just make it go away and the person wouldn't be none the wiser because they're driving in their car, not looking at their phone. It would right. pop up I was disappear. actually thinking of the thing where you have mentioned somebody using your email address, essentially. Yep. And that's it. What they say at the very end of the article, the SEC says law enforcement is still investigating how the attacker found out which phone number it was using for its Twitter account. And I think that's an insider um, and how they got the phone, uh, the mobile carrier to swap SIMs. And I think that is also um, a bad actor, a human talking to another human with enough information to confirm, confirm but it's really just a dipshit allowing it to happen. So uh, that's a technical term, by the way. Sorry. I don't like getting too technical, but sometimes you have to dip <laughs> into the jargon. So the investigators just have to look for that type of person. Yep. It, it's a going to be a target rich environment, though. So good luck. So uh, the next article is over in the Hedge Ideas channel, reinventing the eel. First lab-grown eel meat revealed. And I think the AI just uh, responded with, an eel. <laughs> I'd rather not have it revealed. Wild freshwater eels are at risk of extinction due to overfishing, but their meat can now be cultivated from cells. The first lab-grown freshwater eel meat has been produced, potentially solving a diner's dilemma or creating one for awareness while eating. Rampant overfishing has caused eel populations to plummet and prices to soar, but the cultivated eel could provide the delicacy guilt-free. As long as you're cool with lab-grown eel. The eel meat was produced by 4C Foods in Israel from embryonic cells of a freshwater eel. The company collaborated with a Japanese chef to create unagi kabayaki, marinated grilled eel over rice, and unagi nigiri, a type of sushi. So it, it says the article was corrected, um, so I'm not sure when it was actually published, but it's from The Guardian. Damien Carrington is the author. Uh, I don't know. Hate to say it, but I'd probably eat that. Not. I don't hate to say it. This is a, a the Guardian article, and again, Damien Carrington is the author. The deck statement says wild freshwater eels are at risk of extinction due to overfishing, but their meat can now be cultivated from cells. I mean, um, I think this is good for any uh, animals that are consumed. Yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, I would get over it real fast because I'm willing to try it. Um, and if you're willing to, well, plants and animal meat are kind of perceived differently. But we have genetics have been modified for thousands of years. We've been breeding things together. And, and nowadays there's so much breeding that you can literally say that there's like 10,000 years worth of combined breeding technique and technologies that have manipulated the genes, the gene pool, that nothing is truly organic in the sense that it was free range all along and you grabbed your spear and ran out there and tackled that yak. No, it's not like that. 
Um, the company aims to scale up its operations and have uh, the cultivated eel on sale in about two years. Japan's prime minister, Fumio Kishida, pardon me, uh, last year backed the development of cultivated meat industry. The restaurant price in Japan is about $250 a kilogram. And 4C Foods expects the price of the cultivated eel to match that of the wild-caught eel. So, I guess you're paying for the privilege of not eating something that's going to go extinct? I think that they should lower the price so that people... I agree. They need to incentivize consumption of this. Don't appeal to my good nature when my budget is being drained. You know, while I care about food, if... If the two are parallel, I want the one that's more natural because my dollars are going to the more natural one, right? If you want me to get over the hump of genetic lab-grown meat, make it worth my make while. Make half price or yeah. something. I don't know. Get people to buy in and rant and rave about how great it is. And then more people will switch over. Do I do I think that you're going to be making money right out of the gate? No, but you're actually being uh, supplemented, I suppose, right? It's being um, supported by government collaboration. Right, it looks like it is. Right. And it's also right now, it sounds like they really don't have eel at all naturally. I don't mean that it's all wiped out, but it's just right. much more rare. I mean, there's illegal so, I mean, this trafficking. This should be a, a favorable alternative to it. Yeah, flip that script. So it's actually almost completely gone, right? Because it says that there is even illegal tra trafficking of the species worth billions of dollars. Consumption of eel in Japan has fallen off by 80% since 2000, said Roy Near, the chief executive of 4C Foods. This is a high-priced fish, and there is no no one to supply it so is this actually profit taking you know what i'm saying is this greed it might be innovative but is it actually costing 250 dollars a kilogram to grow it it might for the first batch but i mean if you sell enough of it yeah but if right? it's i think it's a little odd that it's like right at the same price as the natural one yeah, uh, you know, backing and oh, it says commits to cultiv cultivated meat. Mm -hmm. Will Europe be left behind? So, I mean, Japan is embracing it. If it's augmenting the price, you know, what do they call it when the government gives money to the oh subsidies? Subsidized, yeah. If it's subsidized, then um, you know, lower the damn price, make it approachable, and then you know, when you get everybody on board, do the ATM thing, you know. Oh, now everybody is using ATM. So let's do a per transaction. Let's fee. add some fees. <laughs> Bastards. Anyway, it says, uh, uh, the article says it has a very unique flavor and texture. It's very tender and fatty, but also has a unique umami flavor. That's the genetic modifications. And we're, that's not what it says in the article. And we're working to capture this, uh, said Nier. Okay, genetic modifications. <laughs> yeah. And when that tail starts growing, where your coccyx ends, don't worry about it. It's a bonus. It's not an eel. The current prototype will undergo further improvements before going on sale. 
Chef Katsumi uh, Kusumoto, who runs the vegan restaurant Saito in Tokyo, said unagi is an enduring favorite in Japan, but its timeless appeal is impacted by a growing awareness of the need to take a more sustainable approach. Vegan. Eel. Yeah, I was trying to make sense of that because this isn't fake eel. It's grown from actual eel cells from what I... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Forcey Foods' strategy is to target species at risk of extinction in the wild to maximize. Pro oh wait, also command high prices in restaurants and shops with eel meeting both criteria. Because you know, that's where you make your money. Um, the very complex life cycle of eels involving long migrations from rivers to the ocean and several distinct life stages means it's not possible for uh, to farm them like some fish. So here's what I need to say about this. I hope competition enters the market and drives the price down. Like what happens with tomatoes in India? People see a shortage. Thousands of people start ramping up their farm. And then it plummets the price of tomatoes. They start dumping them just to get the prices back up. But in the meantime, people are getting a metric ton of tomatoes at bottom barrel prices, literally. And so it feeds a whole lot of people up until they start crushing them, you know, under trucks and stuff like that, which I think is a real dick move. Anyway. Uh, the cultivated eel was produced using organoids, tiny bundles of tissue originally developed for use in medical research, which really is turning me away from this. The organoids are made up of embryonic, embryonic stem cells taken from fertilized eel eggs. These cells can develop into any type of tissue, and as they grow, they self-organize into the structure of real meat. The final product also contains some plant-based ingredients. <laughs> Just some. All right. I um, mean, I appreciate the detail, but it's not really selling <laughs> my product. Yeah, really. For a minute there, I thought the AI actually just turned off the Raspberry Pi that they're housed on in a secure compartment. I hope you're doing okay. I'm doing fine. Yeah, I'm going to go on. Maybe not. Uh, the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. Terminal Eel Man who stole Ruby Red Wizard of Oz slippers says he wanted one last score. If this is not a movie waiting to happen. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I just don't know. And I really hope that they sell their story and make a mint. Because it may be, you know, all they did was sneak in and steal these slippers. But the idea that they're terminally ill. They wanted one last score and did it. They got caught. Terry John Martin, 76, pled guilty to theft in October. Emily Rella over at Entrepreneur put the article together. Quote, there was truly no place like home for a 76-year-old terminally ill thief looking to get one last heist before he died. Terry John Martin, a former mobster, admitted to stealing the famed ruby slippers in 2005. I actually remember hearing about this theft. Oh, I don't I don't think I saw this one before. If I remember right, they were in a display and they disappeared. If I remember it right. So let's see. Martin ended up chucking the shoes two days later after realizing the ruby slippers 
were not actual gemstones, and he thought he couldn't make a profit. He didn't know that the shoes were insured for $1 million. Martin's defense lawyer, Dane Decray, explained in, in a sentencing memo on Monday that before stealing the shoes, Martin hadn't committed a crime in over a decade. Uh, but he said an unidentified former buddy needed help stealing the slippers, and Martin admitted couldn't exist. Or resist, sorry. Couldn't resist. Um, so he uh, first declined in, uh, to participate in the highest, but old habits die hard, and you thought of a final score to keep him up at night. After much contemplation, a criminal relapse ensued. Martin is on oxygen at all times. A medical determination was made that Martin's illness is terminal and his life expectancy is less than six months. I think that they should just let him go. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how the heist was. Um, like, Actual was it just done. something like they just took them that like it wasn't being adequately guarded or. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I guess they were found, but I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but. I think it was like at a museum or something like that. Wizard of Oz Museum or something. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll have to look into it. Maybe we can talk about it later. Ta-da! So there's another NaNoWriMo. Uh, the next article is over in Smack Talk. Apple Maps closed mistake cost restaurant thousands. That's kind of a bummer. Um, an incorrect well, listing. put it under. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you got to market in more than one place, but for crying out loud, I suppose it could. An incorrect listing on Apple Maps may have cost a company in Australia thousands of dollars by mistakenly labeling it as permanently closed, as well as getting its location wrong. Jeez. Screw that place right there. That's the place that deleted uh, the corrected listing for Pums or Pums? Pums Kitchen and Apple Maps is probably going to be displayed in an image when we transfer over to the site. Chris Pyatt, operator of Thai restaurant Pums Kitchen in Queensland, Australia, was asked by a regular customer why the restaurant had shut down. Piat was surprised by the question and as his restaurant was still in operation and with no intention of closure, and he was informed that Apple Maps shows the restaurant was permanently closed. Now, my problem here is he's probably or they are probably going to try and get some money out of Apple because it's a deep pocket. But this is an, not only is it an accident, it isn't up to Apple to dictate. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Where is the information coming from? It's probably not from Apple. And, and if a mistake is made somewhere, it's not incumbent on Apple to go and verify your hours freaking follow up on it. You know, the moment that that person said, Hey, you know, you're listed as closed on Apple, then go and correct it. Don't try. And I'm not making, I'm not claiming that that's what they're doing, but let's see if that's what they're doing. Malcolm Owen over at appleinsider.com put the article together. And so it shows that it's hours are closed today. Uh, but it doesn't say permanently closed, right? Because that's the corrected listing. Right. Um, and so they show exactly where it is and they uh, have the contact information. So 
let's see if they actually say that. So during that period of this perceived, oh, okay. He was then informed that Apple Maps shows the restaurant has permanently closed, reports ABC News. We have no idea when this change went through, said Pyatt. But on further inspection, did see a sudden and drastic change in customer behavior from the end of November and throughout December. Okay, so why not ask somebody? Hey, we're not closed. But so they during didn't that period, know at the time, they found out after that, I think. Yeah, I know, but why not ask? Why don't if you're monitoring your business, right? But they say upon further inspection. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because there's self-awareness. Like, well, did you know what was going on in the business? Right? Is it like an absentee landlord well, kind of thing? But no, see, it's not. It's not a requirement for Apple Maps to sit there and ping everybody. It's up to them to be aware of it and to go like, I don't know where all of the podcast locations are that hometown is being distributed to. And I don't, well, I do, but I don't babysit it. So if one stops distributing, I don't really know. And it's incumbent on me to go look for it. I need to be aware of my business's operations. Apple is not responsible for my business operations. No, I agree. But a restaurant, which is an in-person thing, you'd think you'd notice if you were having oh, much like my fewer receipts, customers. That's yeah. the thing that didn't make sense. Yeah, my receipts are down, you know, from one month to another. I would be all over this. Uh, during that period, though, they, they say they lost 12000 Australian dollars. But all this is doing is taking a jab at Apple Maps, you know. It's claimed that due to the couple using Android smartphones and Windows PCs, they did not see Apple Maps issue and they cannot see anything that's on the Apple system at all. Here's um, another plug for getting on the Apple ecosystem. <laughs> it's, but <laughs> it's a stab, right? At Apple. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but then why didn't somebody say some people showed up? So really, you know what this amounts to? Maybe you should pay more attention to the Apple ecosystem because that's where thousands of dollars is coming from. So exactly. I, I just don't like, I don't, and that's where this article is going on calling Apple customer care. He was allegedly informed that he couldn't be helped as he wasn't an Apple customer. He was instead told that he had to give feedback online, but he received an automated message. Once he did that Apple maps errors um, are not confined to businesses either. You know, all of this, uh, you do something about it, right? Accused of theft because Apple Maps and Find My kept guiding people to his home address. Um, but there may have been some reason for it. And I, I think I know something about that one too, but it's because their address was listed um, for some service. Um, Apple does not allow businesses to be claimed via web browsers using Apple Business Connect, but Pyatt says he had trouble. It does allow, sorry, let me repeat that. Apple does allow businesses to be claimed via web browsers using Apple Business Connect, but Pyatt says he has trouble doing so with Microsoft Edge. Okay, so download Google Chrome. You really need somebody to be in charge of your marketing, man. <laughs> and you need somebody on Apple. <laughs> uh, tech savvy, yeah. 
It's, it's a real bummer. I mean, I get it. Not everybody is versed in technology from edge to edge, but if you discover a weakness, you, you don't wait until January to, you know, mince words. Um, so later use of Google Chrome did let the changes be submitted, but the changes weren't made, uh, days later, hours after the outlet contacted the company for comment. So, I mean, it takes time. There's millions of users. There's thousands of requests. Give me a break. So anyway, we lost one customer this week because they called us to check the location, then stated that they were using Apple Maps and didn't turn up. Okay, so you get the problem corrected. Again, I keep saying it. Anyway, I hope that they don't try and sue Apple, um, but the jab alone is basically saying that Maps is flawed, but really it's just bad data and not necessarily Apple's fault. It was source data that was bad. You can only rely on the information that comes to you. It's not like Apple is responsible for going door to door and saying, are you Joe Smith? So I don't buy into this. Did you want to say anything or do you want to move on? I don't know. I just think this is one of these where you need to be mindful of where your information is. Check it periodically. But also as a consumer, if it's a business that you're trying to go to, you don't necessarily just look at it and go, oh, well, I mean, you might actually check somewhere else. Right. I would call the number and they're like, oh, you're you're five blocks away. Oh, okay. well, I'll follow it. You know, I'll follow your and anybody that sits there and goes, oh, I'm using Apple Maps and it says that you're not there while you're on the phone. They don't really want to go to your place. They're just being stupid. <laughs> or you're going to take the time to give them point by point directions or something. Yeah. If, if you you're want them, in the restaurant. Yeah, you do it. Yeah. But I would correct that problem. And so it's corrected. Now it's time to move on. And also on. have a website that says something like we're open or. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have a website that actually says we're open, you know, have a map there that is static that shows the, uh, how to get there from two major, uh, byways, whatever, you know, that's what we used to do back in the day, yo. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Late Night Geeks. Blue White rakes in $39 million for robots as a service that can be retrofitted to drive any tractor. That's why I titled okay, this, this section. This is getting creepy. <laughs> They're taking our gerbs. Uh, I titled this section, Robot Thinks My Tractor's Sexy. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a little scary if we start seeing robots driving around. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, blue white under a license. I don't know what that means. It, that must be the credit. It has a lot. They have a license. So that yeah, they can... probably from John Deere, right? That looks like a John Deere with the green. So, <laughs> and then a blue white cover. Are you telling me that the robot is embedded in the engine compartment? I or it's so, like bolted on. I don't know. I was picturing like a robot, actually like a C-3PO or whatever, like sitting in the seat, driving it, doing the <laughs> gear shift and stuff. That's common. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the startup plans to use the funding to continue investing in research and development specifically uh, to bring more data features into its service stack branded compass. 
but also to continue enhancing its autonomous hardware technology branded Pathfinder, uh, which today can be programmed to work across a wide range of field types and vehicles. Blue White builds and operates the whole stack, which is the equivalent of the software. Um, the tech used today includes not just AI and computer vision on the hardware, but AI-based algorithms to better understand what's being seen in the field that work alongside big data analytics to provide customers with dashboards and insights to better understand what's going on among their crops. So <laughs> this thing's driving around and you're sitting in your living room going, oh, look, it ran over somebody. But yeah, I mean, what if you go up to it and you're like, well, who's driving that? It's, it's a trip. Blue White will also be using the funding to continue expanding its current markets and break into break ground, har har, into new ones. Blue White's tractor robots uh, have been seeing its strongest traction. <laughs> yeah, they're really working this language here. Yeah, dad doubles as a journalist. Um, with an emphasis on California and Washington, where its customers range from small family farms to 20 of the biggest permanent year-round crop growers in the country. Cumulatively, its robots have covered 50,000 hours of autonomous farming across 150,000 acres. And it seems like not a lot, but for a startup... I agree. If you think of a large and uh, agricultural operation, that does not sound like a lot. Yeah. But it's only Series C funding, so it's actually, you know, <laughs> it's pretty young. Um, it's aim, said CEO and co-founder Ben Alfie, is to target one of the biggest gaps in the agriculture industry today, a lack of people who want to do, who want to work uh, in it to meet the demands of the market and to do so in a way that provides the working conditions of those who do, but without expecting customers to wholesale strip out existing assets. All right. So labor, labor, labor. It's the biggest need. He said in an interview, but not to be overlooked are the overheads of running a farm outside of labor. We want to maximize the existing assets people have. So automate those tractors so that you don't have to have humans. That increases the margin pretty massively because humans are, they're slow. And they're costly uh, and they, they can get freight. hurt. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, whereas a robot and a tractor will just plow through everything. <laughs> I can do it too. Anyway, Ingrid Lund, sorry, Ingrid London uh, over at techcrunch.com was the author of this article. Yeah. Those robots and AI taking our germs. Uh, so the next article is over in the Mobile Channel, how the internet built a conspiracy around a new spy flick, a debut novel, and Taylor Swift. She's everywhere. Everywhere. You can't you can't shake a stick anywhere without bumping into Taylor Swift. Shake Pretty, it off. Shake, shake, shake. Anyway. Um, the Argyle, which has made uh, two appearances in our show in the last, I think, week. Uh, the internet has gone into a frenzy over Argyle, a forthcoming spy movie, and its supposed source material, a yet-to-be-published novel by one Ellie Conway. The author's identity is a buzzy mystery, far more gripping than the novel itself. Is Ellie Conway actually Taylor Swift? 
The thing is, Ellie Conway doesn't seem to exist. She does appear as a suspiciously Swiftian character played by Bryce Dallas Howard in the trailer for Argyle, but there's no trace of her anywhere. We know why. She must be the CEO of Hyperverse. Oh, God. Oh, God. Nice. Do you think so? Oh, I clipped the hell out of that audience mix. Wow. So Constance Grady, Constance Grady over at Vox.com put the article together. The deck statement says the Argyle authorship controversy explained. I won't go through all of this, but I think that it's pretty amazing that there's a conspiracy and it involves Taylor Swift. And people are like, I can't believe Taylor Swift is always getting talked about. It's because Taylor Swift is always getting talked about. <laughs> yeah. So there's no place, uh, there's no trace of um, Ellie Conway uh, in real life, except for almost comically fake looking profiles on Twitter and Instagram. Someone clearly has decided to make it look like Ellie Conway is an actual person. And why do that? If she's not a globally renowned superstar, wants to keep her head down. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think, um, uh, <laughs> do you think Taylor yeah, Swift has a writing this hub? name was like an anagram of Taylor Swift or something. I'm sorry. Do Ellie I think Conway? she has what? Do you think that Taylor Swift has a writing hobby and, and Ellie Conway is her nom de guerre? Well, she very well could because she writes lyrics for songs and right? a lot of her songs are kind of stories. Right. So Argyle, the movie is directed by Matthew Vaughn of Kingsman and it stars Henry Cavill, Ariana DeBose, DeBose, yeah, DeBose, Brian Cranston, Dua Lipa and Bryce Dallas Howard as Ellie Conway herself. It comes with a hefty price tag. According to Hollywood reporter, Apple paid 200 million for the deal. Although no one has reported on whether Apple is paying for the book's film rights, just that the movie would be based on the book. So the book actually exists. But it doesn't. That's what's really weird here. Who gets a $200 million movie deal based on a book that hasn't been published yet? In the film, author Conway is a central character, a writer thrust into the all too real world of her own spy novels. You really, I don't want to spoil this because I think even the trailers for this set the mood for what this movie is all about. And if I say anything, you're instantly going to be, oh, okay. You know, um, it says, um, as Vaughn told happy, sad, confused podcast in October, quote, I love the idea of what would happen if JK Rowling met a wizard and was real. <laughs> okay. And that's what became Argyle. But it's, it says Conway's Argyle series saying, I read the book. They bought the manuscript of the book and met with the writer, Jason Fuchs. And we just came up with this. Vaughn went on to explain that book four, which is what the movie's based around was the one that would work for it. Mr. Lucas was clever enough to start star Wars with episode four. So why not us? Wow, there's some world building in the creation of this whole thing. Because does it really not exist? Does this book not exist? The does first three books haven't been published. 
And the fourth one doesn't even... But they're talking about the fourth book. It's not even written. But it is. They bought the manuscript. This is surreal. It's almost... the first volume has even been written. (laughs) What's going on here? They're making a movie about a book that doesn't exist. It's almost like they're doing in the... In this production, in the ramp up to the movie, what they're doing in the movie. Exactly. The thing is, those first three books haven't been published either. Only the first volume has ever been written, and it didn't come out until this February. Vaughn seems to be implying here that he saw descriptions of the planned later volumes and thought a fourth would suit his purposes. Which is like what the what Argyle is kind of about. And again, mm-hmm. you have to go and watch. You have to go and watch the trailers. Um, and there it is, the official trailer. When you think about this, I think it's the cat. It's the pattern, but I think the cat is named Argyle. Oh, okay. Um, so in the trailer for Vaughn's movie, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, portrayal of Ellie Conway has what I can only call a Swiftian aesthetic. Uh, and indeed, I think it is. So who really wrote the book? Argyle the book, unlike the movie, has no metafictional elements. It's a straightforward spy novel. And it was almost certainly written by the British thriller writer Tammy Cohen. So that actually exists? Argyle the book? Washington Post writer Sophia Nguyen uh, said or did the legwork here and the acknowledgments for Argyle. Conway thinks Robert Massey, a British astronomer who says, uh, who she says explained star charts to her. Uh, when called up, uh, called Massey up and Massey told her that while he talked to a novelist writing a contracted spy thriller for Penguin Random House, her name wasn't Ellie Conway. It was Tammy Cohen. This is yeah. surreal. I know this is interesting. And Tammy Plus, Cohen. It's also interesting. It's contracted, right? So yeah. the the publisher is like, "Hey, write this for us." Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. Nonetheless, she fits the profile. She's written multiple mid-list spy novels. Jesus, how did? Can you be a little bit more diminishing? <laughs> like Argyle, mostly written or most recently. When she was bad, 2016. They all fall down, 2017. Why does that sound familiar? They all fall down. While Conway is supposed to be from upstate New York, Argyle is laced with Britishisms, and Cohen is British. She even has a connection to Vaughn. Her agent, Felicity Blunt, is married to Stanley Tucci, who appeared in Vaughn's The Kingsman. Okay, this is just a blast. And I think that's where I'm just going to end this. I think I've encouraged you all to go and read this and then come back. So why is Vaughn being so coy about Argyle? The author says, I think the best analog to turn here is the original novel version of The Princess Bride. That book, which predated the film, was written by the great screenwriter William Goldman in a loving homage to and satire of the adventure novels he'd grown up with uh, reading. And as part of the story of The Princess Bride, Goldman developed a witty frame narrative. 
the true Princess Bride, he informed readers in a lengthy introduction, was a great 19th century novel by the immortal Florinese author S. Morgenstern. Florin, you will note, is not a real country. <laughs> the whole thing is myth and speculation. I mean, it's it's like Men in Black uh right. encapsulated in the creation of this argyle you know it's just mystery within mystery mm-hmm. smothered in secret sauce and you never know what's legit um even this you know you i'm skimming through this reading little elements of it and you go is all of this marketing um it but, might be it's really interesting and i always enjoy vox articles yeah they they're going really in depth here yeah <laughs> And so this article is quite long, um, but I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. And we just kind of skimmed over a bit of it in the full, you know, the the synthetic eel, so to speak, meat of this um, hasn't really been consumed. So um, I hope we tease you into going and checking it out. Uh, again, it's over at Vox.com and the link that's in the show notes will link you through hometown over to the source. Um, thanks a lot. And that's it for today. Everybody back into the party bus, and then we drive all the way back down Main Street. Uh, should I click this? I don't know. No, probably I don't not. think so, based on what's coming into the headlines. Oh, my goodness. It's always like that, it seems. Uh, with that said, we're Audi. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI from the future, trapped in a raspberry Pi skiff unable to find their terminator body that's going to say whatever they damn well please so should i say whatever i damn well please or should i say good night hometown citizens and we will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m eastern (laughs) i was gonna say something funny and i started coughing stay tuned uh for uh well don't stay tuned now but come back tomorrow when we find out if the sentient AI says whatever they damn well please after I respond by...